Um, we're going to be in Exodus 32. You may be thinking that's not an Easter text. We're going to get to that in a second, all right? So we'll be in, in Exodus 32. Um, so we have been preaching um, the last several months at Redeemer through the book of Exodus, um, have seen the Lord rescue His people, um, that He has taken them by His mighty hands from one of the world's great superpowers, Egypt, has rescued them, has led them through the wilderness, providing for their needs through water and quail and manna. And these things, He's led and guided them. And they've been now at Mount Sinai for several months. Um, and so we want to remind ourselves that, that Exodus is a theological history. And it's a theological history because of this, that it is telling the birth of a nation through their rescue, the setting up of their kind of constitution with the law, and then receiving a place of worship with the tabernacle, that, that those kind of three sections are telling the story of the birth of a nation. But it's not just a historical account of that. It's also revealing to us who God is and what, how we should respond to Him. And that's why it's a theological history. Um, and so we have, been, we have seen His hand work and move throughout Exodus. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at maybe a familiar passage, the golden calf. Um, not most passages, if we would have been here um, in Exodus on Easter morning, we would not have remained. We would have stepped aside and done um, a more uh, standard Easter text. And yet, I think by the end of the morning, you'll see why we chose to remain um, with the golden calf this morning, that we're going to be able to make um, a run at the cross because of this. Um, that honestly, this morning, what Exodus 32 and what Easter should remind us is that this whole Easter holiday is really um, a matter of life and death, right? That, that we, sometimes we can um, sanctify it in a way that it feels almost innocent, and yet we need to be reminded that it is an issue of eternity, that it is an issue um, of life and death. So Exodus 32 is where we're going to be. We're actually going to read all of Exodus 32, and then we'll work our way back through it. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves up together to Aaron and said to him, up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And so Aaron said to them, take the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord, and they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, go down, for your people whom you've brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them, and they have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt." And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them in order that I will make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O oh Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? 
Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out? To kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth. Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self, and said to them that I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven in all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring, and they will inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. And then Moses turned, and he went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back they were written. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there's a noise of war in the camp. But he said, it's not the sound of shouting for victory, or the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp, he saw the calf and the dancing. And Moses' anger burned hot, and he threw the tablets out of his hands, and he broke them at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf that they had made, and he burned it with fire, and he ground it into powder, and he scattered it on the water, and made the people of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, what, what did the people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people, and that they are set on evil. For they said to me, Make us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. And so I said to them, Let any who have gold take it off. And they gave it to me. I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies, then Moses stood on the gate of the camp and said, who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him and he said to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, put your sword on your side, each of you. Go out to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp and kill, each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day, about 3,000 men of the people fell. And Moses said, today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord each one at the cost of his son and of his brother, that you might bestow a blessing upon you this day. And the next day, Moses said to the people, you have sinned a great sin, and now I'll go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. And so Moses returned to the Lord and said, alas, this people has sinned a great sin, and they have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written." The Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go, lead the people to the place about which I've spoken. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day in which I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. And the Lord sent a plague on the people because they made the calf the one that Aaron made. Right? Happy Easter. <laughs> right? That's kind of, you're going, what? Why did we show up this morning? That was not what we were anticipating for an Easter service. We're supposed to talk about, you know, resurrection. We're going to get there. All right, so let's, let's set the scene real quick. Here's what's going on. Um, the, the people of Israel have arrived at Sinai, and in chapter 19, God tells them he's going to give them the law. And so the people um, are around the mountain of Sinai, and God begins to descend on it, and they are trembling in fear because he said, if you touch this mountain, you're going to die. And God is, is falling on this mountain in power and in, in, in tremendous, awesome ways, right? In smoke and trembling. 
And so the people saw and they said, hey, we're not sure we want this. Moses, you talk to God for us, right? And they set Moses up as a mediator for them. And so Moses begins this interaction with God, which in chapter 20 culminates with the, the Ten Commandments. And then we see the law, the case law that's given in chapters 21 and 22 and 23. So then in 24, in chapter 24, Moses stands before the people and he says, you yourselves have heard the word of God. You have heard the law given because the whole nation stood and trembled as God spoke from the mountain to the people. And they say in verse three, we have heard the law, we receive the law, and we will obey the law. And in chapter 24 of Exodus, we see the covenant confirmed. That Moses reads it again a second time before them, and they're again saying, yes, we will obey God. And so they, they, the covenant is confirmed. And then at the end of 24, Moses returns to Mount Sinai. He's headed back up the mountain. God has called him up. And Joshua and, and 70 of the elders, they're, they're on the mountain. They can only go a portion of the way, and Moses goes the rest of the way. And at this time, it's where we've been the last several weeks, is Moses is on Sinai with God, receiving the instructions for how to build the tabernacle, what the priestly garments are going to look like, what the sacrificial system is going to be like. He's receiving all of this information. Exodus 24 will tell us that he has been up there 40 days, right? And he had waited a week to go. So it's been five, six weeks that he's been gone. In that time, the people begin to look around and they say, where's Moses? He's supposed to be here. He's the one that talks to God for us. Where is he? And so they go to Aaron, Moses' brother, and they say, okay, hey, let's, let's make a God. Right? And, and it seems insane that they would be so quick to forget that God has moved in mighty ways that they have seen God part the Red Sea in the previous months. They have seen him pass over Egypt, rescuing them from one of the world's great superpowers. He has seen them, right, bring water where there wasn't water and food where there wasn't food, and he has rescued them time and time again. He has been gracious and patient to them. They are literally still at the mountain where God shook and spoke, and they heard God, and they said, Moses, you speak on our behalf. And within six weeks, they're going, Moses is gone, not sure if we can talk to God anymore, so let's build one. Right, it's insane to think how quickly they would go this. It's almost like if you've been with us in Exodus, you're, you're watching this in horror, like in slow motion going, no, like what, what are you doing? And, and so to think of Aaron here going, I think it's a good idea, right? That he goes, well, start taking off your rings. Let's, let's get this thing done. And so maybe he, was, maybe he was afraid of the crowd. Maybe it was that he thought, I can't stop it anyway. I'll go along with it. Maybe he's thinking in the same vein. But what we're seeing is this still, that there's this Egypt has, is still within them, right? And so they begin to create this bull, this reminder um, of, of the gods that they worshiped in Egypt. And so they break the first three commandments just like straight off. The first being, have no other gods before me, right? You're creating gods. Second, the second commandment is don't have any graven images, right? And if you remember when we went through the Ten Commandments, this isn't simply idols. This was also you don't make an image of Yahweh. You don't make an image of the God that you do know and that you do worship. You think in your hands that you can begin to shape and fashion him? No. He is not contained by you. 
And so whether they're doing it in a pagan way of we're creating our own little God we're going to worship, if they're doing it in a way of saying this will represent our God to us and Yahweh, both are breaking the second commandment. And then the third, to take his name in vain. Look at verse 5 and 6 of chapter 32 again. So um, in in verse 4, after they make the calf, the people cry out, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Can you imagine how flat that should have landed? Right? Like they've seen God work in some of the most miraculous ways in human history, and then they have this golden calf, and they're like, these are the gods who have brought you out. And you would have thought there should have been a, like a hush across the crowd or, or people exclaiming, no, it's not. Didn't see that calf in the wilderness. Didn't see that calf on the mountain. But look at then what Aaron does in verse 5. He says, when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, a place of worship. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow we will have a feast to who? To the Lord. He takes the Lord's name in vain. And he says, we're going to worship this calf and we're going to call it the Lord. Right? He is, he is dishonoring the name of their God and king. And so what we see is quite literally them building idols. This morning, um, that's, that's not an issue probably for most of us in regards of building idols, that you don't have little golden calves or anything in your home that you bow down and worship to. And yet we know that our hearts um, are, are idol factories, that we create things in our life and in our world that we worship. And idols, quite simply, are this. It's something that you trust to satisfy and fulfill you more than God. Right, that we see that they are trusting that this calf is going to fulfill them in a way that God hasn't as he has led and guided and protected them. It's something that you have to have. It's something that would, you would say, if I could simply have a grasp hold of that in my life, it would give my life security, it would give my life meaning, it would give my life purpose. It's something that is more important to you than God. It's something that you think about more than God. It's something that would drive you or you would consider more than God. And so what's, what's going on here is we have seen so far in Exodus that Exodus is kind of like a second creation account. Then in Genesis, God has created humanity, set them in the garden, and Adam and Eve rebel. They don't trust God. They sin against him saying that we think the serpent can offer us something that you can't, and they go after it. And so they're punished, and the fall happens, and sin enters the world, and we are cursed, Right? Relationships with God and with one another and with creation are broken. And so God now is restoring this in Exodus. That he's saying, look, you're meant to be with me, and so I'm going to be in your midst in the tabernacle. I'm going to be with you. And he has rescued them, and he is setting up new creation, right? And so the tabernacle and the holy of holies was the throne room of God. It was why it was not to be approached, because it was this holy place where the, the Ark of the Covenant was the footstool of his throne, that heaven had come back to earth. And he was going to dwell with his people. The hope that we have in Revelation is that this is what God has for us, that we are meant for eternity and we're meant to be with him and to be his people and for him to be our God. And yet now we see Exodus, we see the, the Israel's, this is their fall. We're so quick after God has rescued and intervened and set up, they are turning to other things and saying there are other things that we trust more than God, and they are falling away. It's a failure to trust him. They, they, they want to gain something without God. And what they've done is they've created an idol that's easier to control than him. Right? 
on the mountain, they were terrified. They were afraid they were going to die. They were trembling, and they thought, if we touch it, we die. And so now let's make us something that we can control. And we'll call it, we'll call it God, right? We'll, we'll, we'll say, that's him, and, but it's something we can have and we can control. And he didn't give it to us. We've done it with our own hands. And it'll make us right with God. And we'll worship it even. We'll have feasts and festivals. They are settling for lesser. The God of the universe, the creator God who has rescued them, has said, I'm going to dwell in your midst. I'm going to be your God, and you're going to be my people. And they're like, we'll take the calf. It's not so scary. We can control it. We can make some decisions about it. Submitting to you, a little difficult. That they're taking the lesser. They're, They're looking for something that won't kill them. They're looking for an alternative to God's presence that would still satisfy. You, this should feel absurd to us, right? Like, listen to the way the psalmist describes this. This is Psalm 106, beginning in verse 19. They made a calf in Horeb, Horeb's another word for Sinai, and worshiped a metal image. They exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. The psalmist is going, look at how crazy this is. They, they, they took the real God who's done all these miraculous things, and they're like, look at that cow. Let's worship it. Right? It should feel absurd. We turn over to Psalm 115. Look at verse 4. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses, they do not smell. They have hands, they don't feel. Feet, they do not walk. They do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them, and so do all who trust in them. They're saying it's created, and it cannot begin to wrap up who God is. We cannot begin to fashion something that can substitute for him. And then one final passage. This is Romans chapter 1, verse 22. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling, resembling mortal man, birds, and animals, and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. They worshiped and served the, crea- the creature, the, sorry, the creature, rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Right, that this is a common thread throughout scripture that we take a holy God and we say, I'll take something less. And we can look at the absurdity of them building this and yet we know this morning we do it too. That we say, you know what would be better than God? my reputation. What would be better than God? Success at any cost. What would be better than God? Money. What would be better than God? Relationships. What would be, right? And, and we don't see the absurdity in our pursuit of our idol. We see it in others. We see the absurdity of their pursuit. We see the absurdity in the, the, Israel, the Israelites' pursuit. We don't see it in ours. We think, no, this makes perfect sense, right? It's, it's Eve taking the fruit, It's the Israelites building the calf, and we say, no, no, this will give me meaning, and it will satisfy me, and it will make me happy. This will be what I will worship, and you know what? 
I'll even Christianize it. I'll call it something good, right? I'll say it's a blessing from God, or I'm going to do it to honor God, or I'm going to give God all the glory. And we are worshiping something false, and we're calling it God. We're trying to, to sanctify our behavior. They were not trusting God's timing. Right, God has taken Moses up. He is quite literally giving him the plans to build the tabernacle where God will dwell with them in their midst. And they're like, ah, hurry up, not been fast enough, we'll, we'll take it into our own hands. Right? God, if you would just give me a relationship, okay, you haven't done it quick enough, I'll go find one. I'll do it. God, you haven't given me the job I wanted, I've waited, I've prayed, I'll just go take it, right? We do the same thing. We say, okay, God, and we have this arbitrary clock in our heads or in our hearts that say, here's what, God, I'll give you a little bit of time. Oh, you didn't do it in my time. And we don't trust him. We don't wait upon him. Moses was coming down shortly, right, with a word from the Lord for their benefit. And they were too hasty to pursue their own thing instead of trusting God, right? We do this with our idols. And so it, things, simple things that don't feel sinful can become idols. The fact is, is if in my own heart, an idol that I have to fight and destroy all the time is Redeemer. Redeemer isn't God. And as exciting as it has been to see what the Lord has done and how gracious he has been to us over the last six and a half years, if my worth and if my value and if my thought and if my attention and if everything is poured into this, then it is a golden calf, right? Because the Lord is better. He is better, and this is false compared to that. And that doesn't make Redeemer bad, but it has to have its proper place, right? That the point of why we gather is to meet with the King, not so that we can say, look at Redeemer, so that we can look at the Redeemer, right? It's probably the preachiest thing I've ever said. I almost like want to like retract that there. That was like. <laughs> um, um, Mo, sorry, Aaron then, man, that really threw me off. Um, Aaron then flaunts, right, the miracles in the hand of God. Like God has rescued them in these mighty ways. And if you look then, what does he say when, when Moses goes, hey, Aaron, explain to me how this happened? Right, like, how are we worshiping this? Like, he's thrown down the Ten Commandments. Like, he is, he's, Moses coming down off the mountain has, like, said, okay, hey, God, God, hold on. Hold on for just a second. He comes down, and it's like, you say, you, you hear your wife say, hey, the kids have made a mess. And you're like, well, that's not that. Oh, my! Right? And he just throws them down. And he's like, Aaron, explain this. How did this happen? And Aaron goes, well, we took some gold, threw it in the fire, and, and this calf just came out. He is mocking the miracles that God has done. Because God has done tremendous things that no one believed in, parting the Red Sea and providing food and providing water and leading them through a cloud. And Aaron's just like, maybe he'll believe it, right? He is mocking and flaunting the, the hand of God, the mighty hand of God in this, and calling it a miracle there in verse 24. And then in verse 5 and 6 again, that he says that we were worshiping the Lord, that they were picking and choosing, and they were mixing true things with false things, and it makes it false. That religion that picks and chooses what you want to think or believe about God is false religion. 
that God is revealing himself to us in Scripture, and you either take it all or you don't. We don't get to pick and choose and say, I'll take the, a lot of the New Testament stuff. I want to leave some of this other stuff out, and we, we create our own God. That's a golden calf. We don't create God. We don't shape his image. He is who he has revealed himself to be, and he is more than enough for us. And so some of them, maybe they created this as a pagan way to remember Egypt. Maybe they did it as a religious way to try to worship Yahweh. In both, it was false. That we have to understand that our idols can be pagan and clearly wrong, or they can be religious and just as wrong. And so then we see consequences. Look at verse 9 and 10. Look at what the Lord says. He says, um, the Lord said to Moses, because Moses is on the mountain. He doesn't know this is happening. I have seen this people, and behold, they are stiff-necked. Right? That means they're hard, to, they're hard to lead. It's like an oxen that won't go the way you're, it's supposed to. They're stubborn. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and I will make a great nation of you. Right? It's, again, it's the fall. We, we see even in the idea of Noah here. Like, I'm just going to wipe it out, and I'll start over with Noah and his family. Moses, you see those stiff-necked people? I'm going to wipe them out, and I'll start over with you. That, that there's consequences to rebellion and to sin. It's not trusting God, and it is destruction. That we are meant to be with him and to trust him, and when we don't, then we say you're not enough, and we dishonor the king of kings, and the, the, that deserves death, right? The wages of sin is death. We see that in verse 33 and verse 34. But the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Right, the wages of sin is separation from God. It is death. And so this section should feel a little distasteful to you. You should be thinking, I want you to be done with this section, right? Because it's a little bitter. Because what happens is Moses says, okay, if you're on the side of the Lord, step across. And the Levites do, and a lot of people don't. And then he has them execute 3,000 people. Right, friends and family. And you're thinking, I don't, this is not what I want on Easter, but we have to be reminded that our sin has consequence, and the consequence is death, and it is separation from the Lord. And 3,000 die, and that was mercy and grace because it could have been all. And so most likely these 3,000 were the instigators, the ones who were maybe most involved, but the Lord has them killed. And, right, it feels heavy. And so Moses then said, he tells the people, what have you done? I'm going to have to go back up on that mountain and see if I can make this right and see if I can make atonement for it. In verse 30, the next day Moses said to the people, you have sinned a great sin. I will now go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Perhaps. We see in 35 that judgment is going to come. That they're going to potentially lose the presence of God because he's going to send a plague. Because their sin matters. And Moses goes, and, and Moses, what a difference it is when he was on Mount Horeb the first time, and he says, hey, would you send somebody else? And now, all this time later, he goes before the Lord, and he says, you can blot me out. You can end my life. Please, please don't do it to them. And you're thinking, man, Moses, yes. And look at what the Lord says. Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. He, he, he doesn't take it. He says no. You think, wait a second, what is going on here? 
right? That, that we should feel that our idols that feel so simple and so it's just mine and it's okay and it's not a big deal, this is a picture for us of, of what those things do, what it does to our relationship with the Lord. Him making them drink the gold, right? This bitter taste of like, taste your sin, taste it, you know? It's like Moses is like, you know, an angry dad here. When you're going you're gonna to see the effect of this, and that we would walk out of Exodus 32 going, all I know is I need an atoner. I need a mediator. I need someone to make this right. And if Moses couldn't do it, then who can? And why couldn't Moses? Because Moses had his own sin and his own guilt. And that's why he tells him, he's like, you can't do it because I'll blot out those who sin against me. And so that, should, that would have caused concern for Israel. It should cause concern for us this morning of who can intercede on our behalf. If Moses couldn't do it, then who can? But we see that Moses has prayed and he has interceded and he offers himself. Isaiah 53 says, this is us, right? That we have each gone our own way. Like sheep, we have gone astray. Just doing our own thing, pursuing our own idols, pursuing our own worship. And it's why Jesus, folks, was crushed on Friday for us. Because we have done our own thing. He was crushed and beaten and mocked and ridiculed and humiliated and murdered on our behalf because he actually was innocent. And so where Moses could not take the guilt of his people because he had his own guilt, Jesus, the innocent one who lived the life we were meant to live, was able to take our guilt upon his innocent self and stand in the way as an, atone, as an atonement. That he was crushed and killed and absorbed the wrath of God because we couldn't. Because none of us can on behalf of someone else. He takes it. He's able because he was innocent. The mighty hand of God, right, that would fall and destroy sinners falls on Jesus. Takes him out. Kills him. He is our mediator. And what he does then is he restores the access that was lost. Right, like that God is saying, look, I want to destroy them. I want to, I want to walk away from them. And yet we've seen that the intent of creation was that God is to be with his people and his people are to be with God. And that's how the, the book ends in Revelation, right? That we are to be with him. The only way that happens is that Jesus restores access for us. That he absorbs the wrath that you deserve, covers you in his holy righteousness so that you can walk before the king again as adopted sons and daughters. Right? That his, him being alive today right, gives hope and peace and joy because you don't get what you deserve. What you deserve is Exodus 32. That's what you deserve. And what you get is what Jesus has given you, and it's everything. Right? It's not just like you don't die. You get it all. You get access to the king. You get peace and hope and stability and love. You get to know him and be called son and daughter because Jesus is alive. And so for us, the mountain that we think of is no longer Mount Sinai where people trembled. It is Mount Zion. It is where the Holy One lives. And we have access because God has given it to us. And so the only way that we're going to see idols pushed out of our hearts this morning it's not by saying, stop it, act better. It's going to have to be that your affections are changed, that you begin to trust Jesus, that he is enough, and that he will satisfy you, and that he is good. And as you begin to see him rightly, and you see your sin rightly, you'll begin to abhor your sin. 
you'll see the Holy One. You'll say, I want to worship you, and I want to know you, and I want to trust you. And then when the Lord is slow, it seems, in moving, we trust and we say, no, no, God's at work. I can wait, because he's faithful. And we begin to see that we trust, we, we begin to kill our idols and destroy our idols because we have a living God. That we want to hold him up this morning and say, would you behold Jesus? Second Corinthians 5, right, that he took sin, he who knew no sin, right, to reconcile us with the king. That as we are terrified sometimes of Old Testament passages that Jesus has made us right, that we are no longer strangers or aliens, but we are sons and daughters of the king. And so this morning, that's why we would walk with hope when we read passages like this out of Luke. They approached the tomb and they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground and the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day rise. Would that not be mere panhandle religion? But would that be the, the joy of our hearts? That our King is alive. That you will be reunited. You will stand before Jesus one day face to face. And you will either be there as an adopted son or daughter running up to Mount Zion, celebrating forever with God, or you will stand there deserving of Exodus 32 and you will receive Exodus 32. If you have chosen not to trust Jesus, if you've chosen to trust your own hands to bring about salvation. So this morning, we're going to sing and we're going to take the Lord's Supper. Now, would you simply behold King Jesus who is alive today? that we would not be prone to forget, but that we would, we would understand that we live, we're living in the wilderness right now. The Lord has rescued most of us, right? And the promised land is coming, but in the meantime, we're in the wilderness, what we see in Exodus. And so we have to know we are prone to forget and we are prone to create idols, that we would be active together, loving one another, walking on this in mission together, saying, yes, brother, I see an idol. Not to say that I'm better, but let's put that to death because look at our king. Right, continuing to encourage one another, behold the living one. Folks, there's going to be some men and women in the back of the room, if we find some room back there, for you to come and pray with, talk to if you need to. Um, the Lord's Supper is available for you to take um, as an individual or as a family. Um, as, you, as you do that, there's three songs we're going to sing. You can go at any point during that. It may get a little crowded back there. Um, but you can stand and sing. You can sit. But would you respond to our living God this morning, knowing your prayers and your songs are heard?